Hallelujah. Second chapter of Titus, 13th verse. And when you found that one, find the 21st chapter of St. Luke. 21st chapter of St. Luke. We focus on the 34th verse. While you're looking at that, I've been chided for the Sears and Roebuck catalog that I have here, but uh, I'm really not going to use all that's in it. This is just a little folder that I place little tidbits of people's writings uh, concerning the end time. Now, everything that I have is not in here, but for the most part, the little things that I can keep, sources, close to hand. Now, some of the sources that we'll be dealing with tonight is Bible in the News, a little book called Awareness, a book called Identity, one called Prelude to Second Event, a book called Wake Up, The Gospel Truth. These are Christian books, and then we go to, into Economy and Business, which no Christianity is involved. Also, the Bulletin of Atomic Scientists, in which uh, no Christianity is involved. A small paper from Toronto Star, 1981 World Almanac, World Press Review, newspaper called The Daily Oklahoman, Seattle, Seattle Post, Science Digest, Today in Bible Prophecy, Business Week, and Time, which I'm sure there's many more, but inside here plus in my office are tidbits that give you some very prevalent information to the end time. I have searched and asked God for a certain time that it would be good to present some of these things. Because of the nature, the way you have to present it, I am asking for your attention because it requires your attention. Probably there will not be any running up and down the aisle from me or anything because I will be reading a lot. But in it, it's very pertinent. And we need to hear every word that these people think. Now, plus this is also things from the Bible and my own ideas inserted in there, too. So you'll have a full view of what all of these think, plus what the Bible says, plus what my little mind is able to conjure up and think about these things. But first of all, I want to read to you the 11th verse of Second of Titus, the second chapter, and it simply says something that's very pertinent but overlooked. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. And it says, teaching us, now grace is teaching us, that denying ungodly and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the world to come. That's not right. What does it say? In this present world. Now, that must be today, right? And the grace of God. Now, I don't care what people say concerning it, but the grace of God will teach us. That's what Paul says or it's to Titus. That denying ungodly and worldly lust, we should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world. Now, how are we going to do that? You see, he doesn't leave us blind to that either. He says, in actuality, the only way is looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke will all authority, let an old man despise you. Now let's turn to St. Luke, and you'll see we've been giving some previews of what would take place in the feelings of humanity, and some warnings from the writer Luke. And this is what he says, And take heed to yourself, 
lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with sufficing and drunkenness and cares of this life, and so that day come upon you unawares. For as a snare shall it come upon all them that dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch ye therefore, and pray always, that ye may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass, and to stand before the Son of Man. Now this was a challenge from Dr. Luke, as he said, Now take heed to yourself. Now most of us have been able to take heed all right, but we have been taking heed to everybody else. <laughs> you know, judging everybody else's life. But he says, take heed to yourself lest at any time. You know, he left the possibility that this could happen any time. I don't care if you're a day-old babe or a hundred years of babe. He's still saying, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged. And you know, this word always bothered me because when you look at it, it's a fire thing. It seems to say almost the same thing as the after effects of drunkenness. But I, I run across something very interesting, and it's sure going to land hard upon us sports nuts. But I'm going to say it anyway. Are you ready? This word seems to bring out, the Greek word seems to say the emotional high or low that is left after people watch events of the world. And the Apostle Paul, commentaries will tell you, drew this from his watching the actions in the Colosseums and the arenas. <laughs> Amen, Brother Hoskow. And he was talking about how that feeling of elation that we get, perhaps over some sporting events, and the life of Christ never moves us from our seat. Or the low that we get whenever a certain team we're rooting for doesn't win. Or the individual that we're rooting for in boxing or wrestling doesn't win. You see, he was an avid sports fan in a sense, and he went around and he watched all these things, and he made observations of them. And he said, now you watch out, lest you be overcharged with this type thing doesn't say we can't enjoy them, but it does say if we're not careful, we'll get so involved in them that we'll be just as bad about them as an alcoholic is about his liquor. <laughs> Am I on friendly territory tonight? Huh? Am I doing all right tonight? Or should I just as well shut up and get on with the subject? This, this is pertinent to what we're talking about. And it goes on and say, and drunkenness. So you see there's a separation right there. But the two coincide, they're together. And we're quick, we're very quick to condemn the alcoholic. Because he gets his highs and also his lows from uh, his strengths. But if a person not carefully get involved with the things of this world, and that could entail sporting events and other things, and get so involved in these things that our life actually... It's gauged by who wins or who loses, or who's going to play next, or what is involved in it. And this is becoming overcharged. I'm saying, in other words, when it gets to the place where it can take us to an emotional high plane, or bring us down to a devastating low plane, it's just as bad in the eyes of God and the Apostle Paul as a man drunk, obtaining his kicks from the bottle. We obtain ours from the tube a lot of times. <laughs> Amen, Brother Hosko. Hallelujah. And notice, and cares of this life. Now, he knew that if a person raised a family, he had certain obligations. He knew this. He knew that there were certain things. A person would be worse than, worse than an infidel if he doesn't care for his family. Now, God knows this, and this is talking about the cares of life. These are some of the cares of life. And he's not telling you you shouldn't be concerned about them, but the key word in this is overcharged. In other words, to the excess. 
until they dominate you. When the power and love of God and the soon coming of Jesus should dominate every waking and sleeping moment of our lives. I dare say, should I take a poll tonight, not very many of us could say, but what in some of these areas, perhaps, our hearts have been overcharged. Now, there's a warning, and it says, as a snare. In other words, it's a carefully laid trap that things are placed over there that nobody knows they're there. It's going to cover the face of the whole earth. Now, I hope that I don't get in trouble, and right now, truthfully, I don't even remember who said it. But we was discussing in the board meeting last night the lack of ability to get help in certain areas in trying to get the church in shape and keeping in shape. And one individual said, and I'm sure they said it with truth, I've got just as many things of my own to do as everybody else. And this is a fact. And I have made the same statements. But I was challenged by a thought in the last book of the Bible of Malachi when he was challenging individuals and saying, why should you dwell in your sealed houses while the house of God lays waste? Now that could be naturally, but most appropriately, it would be spiritually speaking. And the Word of God is continually challenging us that we should be aware that events are changing. That every day something is happening and it's mind-boggling when we really get it down and get it all together to see how fast in the last few years things have come upon us and mankind has lived their life as if the world will stand another million years. Christianity in a sense and church members and almost all of us involved are dedicating our lives to our homes, to our children, to our jobs. And seeing that all of this is set as it should be, and our spiritual life is dwindling down the tube because we are becoming overcharged. In other words, dealing and thinking continually upon these things without one time giving God the opportunity to prove that He is God. Now, I'm not telling you to go out and sell your house or your automobile all of this, but I am telling you that Jesus knew the condition of the economy. He knew the condition of the world. He knew the condition of ecology. He knew all of this, could see it, and yet He set His church in the middle of it and expected us to deal with Him when these things come along. But He also let us know that if we're not careful, and he wasn't talking to sinners. He was talking to us, church, that our hearts be not overcharged. Now, in all sincerity, and stay with me, in all sincerity, we'll go to every effort to see that our little darlings get everything they want, everything we can possibly give them. Too much, in a sense, this generation has gotten. I'm going to say it again, too much. This generation has gotten. They don't know what their heritage is. They don't know who suffered to bring it to them. They don't know who suffered to bring this world that they're living in. And should a catastrophe come tomorrow, our generation wouldn't know how to deal with it. Because everything has been handed on the silver platter. Mom and Dad has fought in battles. And we have said, and I don't know if it's erroneous or not, we have said, I want my children's life to be better than mine. And I always wanted that. I always wanted my children to have more than I had. But at the same time, I had to couple it with the fact that I would like to have for them to have God in their life more than anything else. If riches would take away the spirit from my home and my family, I don't want them to have it. If a certain job would take them out of peace and frame of mind or perhaps someplace they could find and hear the Word of God, I don't want them to have it. That's how selfish I am. And yet people are falling all over the world. But let's get into this. And like I said, 
It's a little tidbits picked up, and, and you stay with me, because whenever I lose your attention, I'm going to quit, and I've probably got a good hour or an hour and a half of things that are very pertinent, things that uh, Atomic Energy Source Agency ha has speculated on and in our Christians. And it begins with this, the hands of what they call a doomsday clock appeared on the cover of the September 1980 edition of the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists, stood at seven minutes to midnight. That's in September 1980. In the issue of July 1981, those same hands, according to science, scientists, atomic scientists, those same hands had moved to four minutes to the midnight hour of human history. And they sincerely believed looking at it from a scientist's viewpoint, that a nuclear war will break out in the Middle East before the end of this present decade that we're living in. I want you to look around, honey, at your children that could be devastated by this very fact. Little darlings that you've dressed up and cared for and left God out of their life probably when, and inserted other things in the events and prepared them for what? Complete annihilation? I'm sure that these people think so. They put out to point out that the recent destruction of the nuclear reactor in Baghdad indicates beyond doubt that a certain war like this could erupt any time. Heads of state are increasingly worried that nations like Iraq, Pakistan, Libya will produce atom bombs. Terrorists like Qaddafi and Arafat will plant atom bombs in Jerusalem, in Washington, D.C., in London, in Paris, and other major cities in the world in order to blackmail these people into submitting to them. Now, first of all, I want you to look at the social, economic, and religious life of these nations and see what submission to them would do. Look at what they're doing. Look at, at how, how they express their disdain for human life or for anything as far as that's concerned. God out the window. And a special note here, perhaps, in an area like this, produced like this, this will open the way for that which Christians have preached about. The Apostle Paul let it take front page on his writings and ministers all throughout the land have preached concerning it, perhaps this fear that is dominating the leaders of our world today and common everyday people, perhaps this fear will open the door for the most dreaded feared thing in Christianity, and that's the Antichrist. According to the International Atomic Energy Agency, there are 340 research reactors, 475 power reactors in operation are under construction in a total of 46 nations. And he says any determined nation, regardless of how small, can produce the A-bomb. Now to nations like the United States of America and others who are God-minded in a sense are fearful as Russia is right now, she would not hesitate to destroy everybody, but she knows what is going to happen to her if she does. She has that intelligence. But any good look at a newspaper and the radio know that these people do not have that intelligence. You can look at that in Iran's dealings with us. We could have smashed her, but she didn't have the intelligence enough to know or care. Libya is the same way, and Pakistan is the same way, and Iraq is the same way. So imagine if they could get... Is there any wonder now? I'm asking you, is there any wonder that the world at large is looking for somebody that would have all the answers? Now the Bible explicitly declares that there has to be a way paved mankind has not had so much fear in all of its history of economic disaster, of ecological danger, or nuclear devastation since Noah's day. 
The October 20th, 1979 edition of the Toronto Star made the following observation on the visit of Pope John II to North America. And I'm going to read the observation. The reaction to the crowd to Pope John Paul poses some disturbing questions. Is there some mass desire for leader or someone to bring order into the chaos of our times? Does the appeal of the Pope indicate a real vacuum of leadership in North American politics and religious life? If the answer to both of these questions is yes, then we are indeed living in dangerous times. Recent history tells us that such a situation is right for a strong moral leader. However, and I'll quote this, it is my idea that this situation is readying us for an immoral leader. A leader in which Revelations talks about and Daniel talks about and Ezekiel talks about and ministers have preached all the time. And the Bible tells us to watch the pig tree. The Bible tells us to watch the signs of time and since Noah's day until God took one man and his family that was loyal to him, never have we seen anything like we are seeing today before our very eyes and America sleeps on and the church sleeps on an individual sleeps on and the pulpits are silent. They're silent for two reasons. Perhaps they don't know what to say or perhaps they fear the congregation if they say too much because you don't want to disturb a feathered nest. <laughs> you take an old hen sitting on her eggs <laughs> and you just better leave her alone. All right? And there's a lot of churches that's in bed with their children right now and you get them very angry if you disturb them too much. God disturb us. I'm going to say as pastor, God disturb us. I'd like to have some agreement from you. God disturb us. God some way reach into our hearts, some way reach us. I might add, and, and as harsh as it may seem, and I have watched individual lives that at one time spiritual products of something that was almost supernatural and their thoughts were concerning nothing only God his creation and what he could do and the house of God I have seen our sealed whittle I've seen our unconcernment over affairs and I've seen us do things that we never used to think about doing I'm trying to challenge us tonight on our lives of course, for the most part, every one of us will be living when this thing happens. And I realize you young people don't have much of a future as far as the world is concerned, so I'd advise you not to even search and seek for it in the world. I'd advise you to turn to God. I'd advise you not to plan on too much of a happy life unless it is in Jesus. And I would advise parents to try to find their happiness in Jesus because if they can't find theirs there, their children can't find theirs there. And the stage is set. Unhappy parents make unhappy children. Unhappy children bring death to lives. Now when Henry Kissinger, I'm reading on, was being hailed as a miracle man in the peace conferences, the July the 1st, 74 edition of Time magazine carried this suggestion. Kissinger's achievements have at last justified the establishment of a new political office, which I sincerely hope the United Nations will consider, which is president of the planet Earth. That was back as far as 1974 that man wrote concerning a need, a desire, an urge, or an urgency for a world leader. In the Arab world, you're, find, you're finding almost suicides in every direction. They, they do things because they're in quest of their Islamic, uh, Islamic Messiah, which is called Mada. And they would die to bring that in. It's, it's igniting some some moves that fascinates us in a sense and causes us to wonder, how could they do this? Friend, if they are that sold on a God that can do nothing and a God to respect, why in heaven's name can't God's children get that sold on Him? 
friend, they used to be. During the dark ages, they sold their lives for God. During the apostles' times, they sold their life for God. And nothing short of that will take us to either. Now you think you might continue to play footsies with the world and put a progress of, of your home and everything else before God and sail that on in, but not so. And you're not just going to automatically get power to stand in front of that thing and say, I'm a Christian, I'll stay that way. Unless you have done it time and time again, you'll not do it then either. A lot of people are hanging on to the fact that whenever the thing comes and they'll recognize it and know it, when they're called upon, why, they'll just automatically deny it. But friend, if you've never denied anything in your life and never denied yourself anything, it's certain and sure that you're not going to deny your life. Because that's the most precious thing a man has. And that's the very thing that the devil is going to try to take from you. And there again the scripture says, Don't fear him that can destroy this body only. And fear him that can destroy both soul and body in hell. Hallelujah. Those who follow the chart in the course of international power, politics, and arms race, believe, now they don't use Armageddon, because Armageddon is just the gathering together of nations all over the world. I'll use the word, they believe that Armageddon is unavoidable unless there is an intervention of a superhuman Messiah. Now man is ready for his Messiah. Is God's people ready for theirs? Again, the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientist observed, utter catastrophic though a nuclear world war would be, its probability is steadily increasing. There are a number of reasons for the current drift toward war, the most obvious of which is related to international policies. Others are connected with advances in military technology. Facts and figures in the SIPRI yearbook 1980 on world armament and disarmament clearly show that the entire planet and outer space are rapidly becoming militianized. In other words, you're getting your soldiers there, everything else, until not only, and the Bible speaks, Revelation will tell you that, not only is there fighting and war on this earth, but it will also be fighting and war in the heavens and in space. And who would have dreamed this that the Apostle John could have stood and saw these things? And there wasn't any such thing as a spaceship. And yet he saw it and he wrote it down and he challenged us. And even the stars from heaven would fall and the moon would turn into blood and all of these things that he says. And we're living in an age when every one of them is a possibility. We can expect the 1980s to continue as they began, with international tension generally high, as detente flounders and advances in military technologies are making considerably more dangerous, a world that is already dangerous, and to keep on it becomes hotter, and international relationships will finally deteriorate. Jesus said, Hallelujah, and I put this in, that he would come back in a time when the world was threatened with utter destruction. I remember his words, don't you? When he said in Matthew 24, 22, And except those days should be shortened, no flesh should be saved. He's going to shorten the days. And what reason is he going to shorten them? He says, But for the elect's sake, I will shorten the days. For God's chosen sake, for Israel's sake, for the church's sake, for the intercessor's sake, I'll shorten the days until humanity will remain on the face of this earth as I have programmed for him to do. Hallelujah. Such a time, the masses will be looking for Superman to save them, have eyes upon the world. But Jesus warned us against false messiahs.
false Christs and false prophets shall show great signs and wonders insomuch that if it were possible, if it were possible, you can see the deceptiveness of Satan. You can see that if it were possible, he would be able to deceive even the very elect. My God, saints, let's recognize that it is an impossibility for born-again Christians who are living a godly life to be fooled by this thing. And it takes prayer and consideration and reservations concerning God and a casting our confidence upon Him. For He is able. He is able. I wish some way, and I, I'm sure I'm not reaching the the math. Maybe I'm not even reaching the majority. And I'd like for you to some way take a look in your Bible and look at your television and your radio and it's screaming out to you that the situation you live in now is impossible. It cannot continue to exist. And every once in a while we give a, get a brief glimpse of a flowery speech of peace. The adversary. Wherefore, if they shall say unto you, Behold, he's in the desert, don't go. He is in a secret chamber, so don't believe it. In other words, that thing is going to be so great that it will be encased in the desert countries of Egypt, of Iran, all those in the Middle East, and it'll stand there, having fooled them in every way. And he said, if he's in secret chambers, in other words, entering into the mysteries of it all, if he's there, he said, don't you believe it? For he says, I want to tell you something. If you're where you ought to be, and if you're watching the signs of time, if you've heard the word that said, when these things shall come to pass, and lift up your head, for your redemption doth nigh. He says, if you're willing to see that, he says, for as the lightning shineth out of the east and shineth even unto the west, so shall the Shekinah glory of the Son of God be. There's no reason for us to be fooled if our mind is on Jesus. But let me ask you something. If events could come and go, and we're living a life so careless that we never recognize them, and we hear the signs of peace and see the dove hands wave, and we never take note that our world is, dis is disintegrating around us, have you ever noticed that it don't make any difference? Honey, you work one job, two, three, or four, somebody's hands out there and rubs you of every dime you'll ever get. And yet man plows the pearl and deeper, trying his best to keep up with the world and have the things of this world. Sometimes, and we all that away, have become so indebted to humanity that the very bondage of him sniffs out our liberation in Jesus. Let me tell you something. I have decided it is time for us to turn our lives over to God and realize we don't need a lot of these things that the world says we need. That we do need an altar and a secret chambers of our heart. And we do need to ask for an awakening of God. Because what we're trying to build on is treacherous sinking sand. And it won't be yours on the morrow. In contemplating or looking over the increasing cries of humanity for a modern-day Savior, we won't have time, so don't get shook up. I wanted tonight to consider three main areas in which life is threatened today. That's in society, that's in war, and that's in economics. Maybe we'll get one. But in society... Let's look at that. It's more getting more difficult to understand that war is man's most in inhumane thing there is. Jesus said in this part in a latter-day prophetic picture in Matthew 24, 37, But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Now you can read the breakdown of that society in Noah's day in Genesis, the sixth chapter. 
I'll give you a brief resume. And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, and all flesh had corrupted his way upon earth. And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence. Now we hear that, but we take little note of what God did after he brought Noah and his family, placed them upon a new earth, so to speak, saved them while the old earth and economic programs and uh, societies and all of this was put asunder by a flood. If you just continue to read, you'd find that God placed the highest value possible upon human life. The highest value possible. He instructed the nations that come from Ham, Sham, and Japheth to kill any man, take the life of any man without justifiable reason. Mainly self-defense was the height, was the height of evil. He placed that down there also under the law. We need to recognize that God further protected the rights of individuals and the rights of women to be free from abuse and from rape. I want you to notice our society, but today I'm talking about the United States of America. Capital punishment has practically been abolished. In the United States alone last year, and you might want these, according to the 1981 World Almanac, there were 18,745 people murdered. This year the number will be well over 20,000. One of the fastest growing categories of crime is rape. Last year there was over 65,000 reported rapes. In the total category of crimes of man against man, there was over 10,700,000 in 1980. 1965, the crime rate in all classifications since that 1965, all the rate of all classifications serious crime has doubled. Robbery has increased by 225%. Rape by 143%. Murder by 106%. And from 1973, when the Supreme Court struck an axe and right in the heart how what God was trying to do and the emphasis He placed upon life. When the Supreme Court struck down the state laws against abortion, through 1978 there was over 6 million abortions in the United States. On a worldwide basis, over 40 million babies were aborted in 1978 alone. Almost as many lives as were lost of all of World War II. Now you tell me if our society hasn't cashed into the ways of the devil. Do we, do, do we not violate the right of life? Do we take life as a serious thing? God said we should. But our beloved nation, Christian nation, has followed the ways of the humanist. And it's done it without opposition from saints of God that should have been on their prayer bones and awake. One woman stood and took prayer out of your schools and the hundred churches can get it back in. Violent crime increasingly brutal and senseless is becoming the routine in the United States. Every 24 minutes a murder is committed. Every 10 seconds a house is broken into. Every 7 minutes a woman is raped. Now this was once confined to the ghettos, but violent crime is everywhere. Almost every peaceful community has seen the violence of crime somewhere. Some years ago, when I drove here in a little Ford Falcon from St. Louis, drug was taken over that city. Now I remember ministering, perhaps many of you wasn't here at the time, but I remember ministering that we can sit back on the laurels of being at the end someplace and it'll never happen to us. And in the 70s it crept in and it is devastating our young people, infiltrating our schools and playing havoc with our communities. And nobody cries against it. One of three American households are directly affected by some type of serious crime. Courses in karate forms of self-defense increase 
as people are losing confidence in police protection. Purchase of burglar alarm systems, special locks, average American citizen seems to have lost his right to relax. It's no wonder. Paul said by the inspiration of God, 2 Timothy 3.1, this know also, that in the last days, peerless times shall come. Peerless times shall come. The great hope of our society today is not the judicial system, our law enforcement, which is hampered by court decisions of the liberalist and all of that. The hope of the world today is what I read you in Titus, the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We meet in Isaiah 2, 3. Many people shall go and say, Come ye, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us His ways, and we will walk in His paths. For out of Zion goeth forth the law, and word of the Lord from Jerusalem. We read also in Isaiah 42 and the four in the isles, shall wait for His law. Hallelujah. Righteousness will cover the earth. Hallelujah. As the waters cover the sea. We won't go to law with an unjust lawyer, an unjust judge sitting there. We'll go to law knowing that God has ordained the judges in our day. He has set them forth and He's made them righteous. And every decision will be righteous. Hallelujah. Let's start in for a few more minutes. On the other one, war. War is one of the main scourges of man. Jesus stated in Matthew 24, 6 and 7 that wars in the last days would increase. I want you to understand this, intensity and in scope. Statistics reveal that during the past 5,000 years of recorded history, 600 million men, women, and children have died in wars. Now that's not shocking in a sense. But the shocking statistics in the light of the prophecy of our Lord is that one half of all war casualties have occurred in the 20th century alone. One half of the casualties of war have occurred in the 20th century alone. That ought to tell us that we're probably not due for a 21st century. That ought to tell us that all your perfect plans for little Mary and whatever might not materialize. That you might with sadness and tears in your eyes might wish you to spend a little more time in educating them about Jesus. And about the realities of life as it is. Before the 20th century, casualties even in major wars were usually less than 100,000. In the Revolutionary War, there were only 6,824 casualties suffered by the Continental Army. In the War of 1812, there was 2,260 killed. In the Civil War, there were 140,414 casualties on both sides. But in the First World War, just 50 years later, over 10 million died. In the Second World War, 50 million were killed, a large percentage being civilians who died in bombing raids. So since World War II, 30 million have been killed in numerous wars, including Korea and Vietnam. The Bible projects this vast increase in the ravages of war would be at the end of the age. The Apostle John saw at least one half of the population of the world terminated during the Great Tribulation. By 1985, 35 nations will possess the nuclear capability to destroy the world. Concerning arming the world, we quote from the September 1980 edition of the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientist. Military spending in real terms 
Taking inflation into account has increased fourfold since the end of World War II. In 1980, world military expenditures will, in current dollars, amount to $500 billion. Third world military spending is increasing faster than the gross national product. The international armed trade supplied the bulk of the weapons used in, in 130 or so wars which have taken place in the third world, or third world since the World War II. Wars which have killed some 30 million people. The number of countries producing their own weapons continue to increase. Of the 56 states producing major weapons, 24 are in the third world. This article goes ahead to bring out that the weaker nations are beginning to produce arms. The weaker nations are beginning to obtain nuclear reaction to build reactors to build atomic bombs. And it's amazing, also according to the article, that almost 50% of total arms exports produced by the larger nations go to countries in the Middle East. We are seeing the prophecies of Joel 3.9.15 being fulfilled this very hour. This is what he says. Proclaim ye this among the Gentiles. Prepare war. Wake up the mighty men. Let all the men of war draw near. Let them come up. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks under spears. Let the weak say, I am strong. Assemble yourself and come, all ye heathen, and gather yourself together round about. Thither cause thy mighty ones to come down, O Lord. Let the heathen be wakened and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. The sun and the moon shall be darkened, and the stars shall withdraw their shining. The prophetic word of God is warning to all nations. Declare that without qualification, devastation so great that it will kill over one half of the world's population will begin in Jerusalem and spread to the utmost parts of the earth. You got a powder keg over there now? Can I have just a few more minutes? We read in Ezekiel 29 and 12, and it's pertinent to what I just said, I will make the land of Egypt desolate in the midst of the countries that are desolate. Ezekiel went on to prophesy that Egypt would be made desolate from Aswan down to Alexander. And not even a dog would be able to live in the land for 40 years. Now, Ezekiel didn't know anything about the atomic blast aftermath, but by the inspiration of God, he described it right down to what it could do. Friend, tell me God's not on His own. Tell me this Word of God here doesn't predict things to accuracy. Friend, we've got a hold of something here that will give us life if we'll get in it and stay in it and live by it. According to Revelation chapter 18, and we're talking about Babylon as a reality, but did you know that Babylon is in reality known as Iraq today? <laughs> and you know what God said would happen? Oh, they're, they're getting together, they're strong, and they, they push their God out. But I read in Revelations where God says in one hour, I'll make her desolate. <laughs> Just by one sweeping hand of a mighty God, I'll take care of her. And Egypt, which is coming to the forefront, oh, we, we think we've got her in our pocket, but we haven't. Uh -uh, she's just right on the verge. Russia will have her before it's over with. And all her pomp and pride and all of that she, that she has, Ezekiel described that a dog wouldn't be able to live in a land for 40 years. Friend, we've got a God that's been on vengeance of those who spewed and spit in His face and done evil to His children and despised His Word and refused Him. Friend, listen, by His vengeance, He'll do these things. And while the vengeance of God is going on, I believe John said, I see standing upon a sea of glass of holiness God's people. Hallelujah, that has escaped the wrath of God. Not the wrath of the beast, but the wrath of God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Help me, Jesus. <laughs> Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. In Isaiah 17, 1, it's prophesied that Damascus will be a ruinous heap. Now, the prophecies concerning the day of desolation, we're informed that Arabia will not escape. The mountains of Lebanon will be on fire and will spread to those that dwell carelessly in the isles. Great Britain, United States, Canada, Israel, dwelling 
carelessly in the aisles, thinking perhaps the great ruination of those lands will not affect us. But God says you better be careful how you're dwelling. You see, God has left it to modern-day Israel that they can get on their knees and awake and these things that's coming will not touch them or they can dwell carelessly until God sends a devastating force to wake them up. Friend, there is no reason for us to lose our children in order to make us a nation on our knees. There's no reason for our coastal cities to be bombed for to bring the United States of America to our knees. There's no reason for these things to invade the rank and confines of God's Israel to bring it to our knees. But He will, if He has to. There should be a call to revival in our heart. And a back to the Bible and back to basic principles and a back to the awakening of God. I guess you've got to come from the lowest to the highest, to the poorest to the richest, to the dumbest to the most intellect. It's got to come. It's got to come from us. Another indication of forewinning of things to come is a continuing Soviet build-up in Syria and Lebanon. Syria is now a member of the Warsaw Pact nation. In a future war between Syria and Israel will bring Russia along with East Germany into the war. And they're threatening now. They're threatening now. What happens? What happens as to what we do over there is dependent upon what a war will start or whether it won't. Ezekiel 39.18 would seem to mean that this Russian army, along with the Middle East allies, will strike at Israel over the mountains of Bashan, and then God will miraculously intervene. Now, in case you're wondering, the mountains of Bashan are called the Golan Heights today. That's all in Bible prophecy. I'll put a hook in her jaw. He says, I'll bring her forth. She may not want to come, but I'll draw her forth. And then he said, I'll put hooks in her jaw and I'll draw her back. I'll save a sixth of her. But I'll take care of my people. Now the mountains of Israel, of course, is inclusive of that over there. But let's not be naive enough to think that she won't attack or try to real Israel, you and I. We'll be involved. We'll run to the rescue. And then she'll focus her guns on us. And we think we're gaining ground. But we'll be so unprepared to meet this onslaught that except God miraculously intervened, we would be doomed. But God has always been the hope of Israel. Never could she depend on her military might and her power. And God has always been her hope. And God is still our hope. And until we recognize that and pray to Him and say, God, spare thy people. Save thy heritage. Give it not to the reproach of the heathen. Our daily prayer ought to be that. Because not only is she working from without, but within. At this moment, 400 cruise missiles, each bearing nuclear warheads, are being installed in NATO nations in Europe. At the same time, one new intermediate missile system capable of reaching the same NATO nations is being installed in the Warsaw Pact nations. If just 1% of all the nuclear missiles, nerve gas, germ, and chemical agents were released at one time, the human race, which God, through Adam and Eve, brought into being for a specific plan and purpose, would be exterminated totally. Tell me there isn't a power still in control of this world. Oh, you might think, the Bible says, this is your hour, the prince of darkness. But God has still got His hand on it. He don't intend for His people to be annihilated. There is a purpose for humanity. There is a purpose for you. 
The answer to the arms buildup in the nations of the world is not the SALT agreements. It's not the United Nations. It is not Camp David, but there's one answer. And that's the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Let's read it in Revelations 11, 17, 18. We give thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which are and wast and art to come, because thou hast taken to thee thy great power and hath reigned. And the nations were angry, and thy wrath is come, and the time of the dead, and shouldest destroy them which destroy the earth. Coming of Jesus. We read the related prophecy in Isaiah 2 4 and says, And he shall judge among the nations, shall rebuke many people, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Hallelujah. Because the King of kings and the Lord of lords has taken control. The armies no more rule. The presidents no more rule. The dictators no more rule. But sitting on his father David's throne in Jerusalem, sounded, surrounded by the living church of God, that will be sent forth with equity and judgment and proclaiming the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, his King Jesus, hallelujah, who is second said he would reign in spite of the world and in spite of what they're doing. He reigneth, thank God, as the song said, our God reigneth, our God reigneth, our God reigneth. I want you to say that with me. And I want you to stand and glorify Almighty God. Can we say that? Our God reigneth. I'm excited about this thing. Because I believe He reigns. I believe He's focused in on our lives. I believe He's concerned about us. I believe His program. Hallelujah. Set. I believe as the song says. There's victory in Jesus. Hallelujah. Ah, hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. Bless your name, Jesus. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. Hallelujah, Sister Sue, if you'll come. We'll deal with the economics of the thing a little bit later. It entails a lot of things, some supposition on different writers' part, things perhaps that could exist, complete revelation of how the beast comes or what it's going to be. It hasn't fully materialized yet, but there is food in there for thought. We'll deal with that, if God willing, maybe next Wednesday night. Well, we've got a lot of things facing us. We've got a lot of things ahead of us. We've got some suffering. We've got some pressure. We've got some existing to do in Jesus. But I think what he's trying to tell us is we can't plan on this world. It'll let us down. We can't base our hopes upon a future. Not without Jesus. The popular theme of the day by the humanist and the communist also. They can be merry, or tomorrow you may die. Yeah, as far as they're concerned, this is all there is. But as far as a child of God is concerned, this is not all there is to it. Oh, there's more to it. Hallelujah, because I've read the end of the book. I read, I peeped over here in Revelations at the end. I read the beginning and I peeped in the middle and I read over here at the end. And it tells me what's going to happen in the end. I want to order my life. God, some way take me. Take me and tear me apart and put me back together right. Let me put my values in the right place. Let not my heart be overcharged. Overcharged. And you know, in closing, events of the day and cares of this life almost dictate to us how our day is going to be. 
Because you see, we've been overcharged for the cares of this life. It brings a dread to face a day. Because there's pressure and there's burdens and unfinished tasks and deeds. And we go through the day depressed and disturbed because we've been overcharged for these cares. Don't throw them aside. They have to be. But don't let them dictate your day. Jesus is as close to you or maybe even closer during your sufferings and hours of testing and trials 